Finance. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to the Financial Independence Podcast, the podcast where I get inside the brains of some of the best and brightest in the personal finance space to find out how they achieved financial independence. Before we dive into today's episode, I just want to let you know that I released version 2.0 of the credit card search tool I created for travel hackers. Uh, you may remember a few years ago, I wrote a web application to help travel hackers find the best credit card sign-up bonuses. Well, I got a lot of feedback from you, so thanks a lot for that, and I've implemented a lot of new features. So if you want to check it out, just head over to cards.madfiantist.com, and I also created a short video just describing why I think it's the best card search tool for travel hacking, so I'll put a link to that in the show notes if you want to check that out too. Today, I'm excited to introduce my guest. It's Ms. ONL from Our Next Life. Ms. ONL has a sensitive employment situation, so she wants to remain completely anonymous until she quits later this year, so I completely respect that, so that's why she will be referred to as Ms. ONL for the rest of the episode, but uh, she is living one of my early retirement dreams, actually, and uh, she put herself in this position with her husband before hitting financial independence, and I am excited to talk to her about it because it's something that my wife and I are considering as well. Um, she currently lives in the mountains and is just enjoying all the fantastic things that come with living in the mountains, like skiing and hiking. And it's uh, it sounds like a really exciting existence. And I think that may be one of our next steps as well, is moving to somewhere like that so we can just enjoy all the free things that uh, the mountains have to offer. So I'm excited to talk to her about that. And I'm excited to see what her next life looks like, because she's going to start it at some point in 2017. So without further delay, uh, Ms. ONL, thanks for being here. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. So... This one's going to be a little different because you still haven't revealed, you know, your true identities yet, but that's coming in 2017. Is that right? That is right. We are super excited to unveil ourselves because the whole anonymous thing and referring to ourselves with fake names is uh, getting a little old. So we can't wait to do that. <laughs> nice. And, and and that was all based primarily on just the fact that your your jobs are quite sensitive, I think, and you're just worried that that would maybe hinder your progress to financial independence if they found out. Yeah, that's exactly right. We um, we've wanted to share our journey. Um, I mean, we started really just to to have a log of it for ourselves, uh, but then it really turned into something where we we've been able to share with a big community, and we've loved that. But um, it would pretty much destroy our whole plan if our employers <laughs> found out. We sort of need those incomes to get to full early retirement. Nice. Yeah. No, I completely respect that. So yeah, maybe just tell a little bit about yourself then, um, and. I know you can't say exactly what you do and how you got to financial independence, but um, maybe just give a little idea of your journey. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I'm going to awkwardly refer to my husband as Mr. ONO, um, even though he has a proper human name. Um, but we, uh, we've been married for my gosh, almost nine years. Um, and we, I think, unlike a lot of folks who've gotten to FI, uh, didn't start out as naturally frugal people. Uh, we met when we were in our 20s, and um, Mr. ONL was definitely in kind of that bachelor phase of life where he had like the big TV and the fancy sound system and uh, really liked to impress me when we were first dating. And so he introduced me to some um, embarrassingly expensive meals along the way, uh, though I will say that those are the kind of meals that you remember for your whole life. So we, we don't regret spending that money. Um, but somewhere along the line, we realized that we 
could still do fun things and um, and save a lot as well. And and a big part of that is that we have above average incomes. Um, we're both consultants. Uh, we travel a lot for work. We do um, the kind of work where you're expected to be online uh, essentially 24-7 and trade your soul and all your free time and all your free brain space uh, to work. And so they pay you a little more in exchange for that. Um, so that really gives us the luxury to be able to have a nice life and still save a lot. Um, but once we actually learned about FI and did the math, we realized that we actually could make some pretty um, minor cuts to our lifestyle and get to FI within about 10 years. And so we initially had what we called the 10-year plan. And then over time, we realized, actually not over much time, but over about a year, we realized that we could cut some other stuff and we could get there a whole heck of a lot faster. And so then it turned into the six-year plan. And by the time we quit our jobs at the end of this year or possibly a little sooner, it will actually have only been about the five-year plan, um, which we realize is super fast. Um, and we know that that's totally just a factor of, of higher than average incomes and a few other things we've been really lucky with. Like we bought our house, um, which we just paid off um, in 2011 when it was pretty much the bottom of the housing market. So we got a really good deal there. Um, if we'd bought two years earlier or two years later, I think we'd have to save up a bit more to be able to do that. Um, so it's been a really, I think luck has been a huge factor in in all of it, but also just um, so thankful that we discovered this concept because I think we always knew we didn't want to work forever, um, but we didn't really know how to do that. We just kind of knew that as a as a theory. And yeah, that's kind of the, the basics. That's awesome. And congratulations on paying off your mortgage. That's uh, very exciting stuff. Thank you. I know not everybody is in favor of doing that, but for us, it felt like the right thing to just know we'd always have a permanent home base, a roof over our head, and we could really then reduce our living expenses a ton. Yeah, absolutely. And you you live in an amazing location, which we will talk about soon, definitely, because um, I'm really interested in it. But five years ago, so what, what, made, what made you switch? So was it a pretty drastic change from those spending years to the then saving tons of money years or, um, and what was the catalyst for it? Um, there was never a drastic moment, to be honest. We, um, we had started saving really in earnest, um, a couple years into our relationship, uh, to buy our first place. Uh, we lived in a really expensive city and it was definitely the bubble years. And we felt like even earning very good incomes, we were never going to be able to afford a home. Uh, and so we got pretty aggressive about saving, but it, it wasn't in terms of making big cuts. It was just like we would bank every year-end bonus. Um, and we know that actually just having a compensation structure with a year-end bonus has been a huge factor in our success and not one that we can tell people, you know, go out and replicate that. Um, but having a chunk of money that comes in at the end of the year that you can just save straight away uh, has been such a gift to us. Um, so we started doing that. We started banking all of our uh, pay increases so that we essentially still live on I would say maybe our 2007 salary. Uh, so for 10 years, everything that we've we've gained in um, raises is just going straight into savings. And then um, it really helped a lot, actually, when we moved to the mountains from the big city about uh, five and a half years ago. Uh, that let us stop saving on restaurants and on the types of things that you just easily spend in the city. You know, like when you get together with friends in the city, you're easily in for a hundred bucks a person if you're going to a restaurant. Um, but 
here in the mountains, it's totally different. First of all, there just aren't as many restaurants um, and the ones that are here are much cheaper. And so uh, if we go out with friends, it's not a hundred dollar a person affair. Um, and people are much more likely to say, hey, do you want to go for a hike or do you want to have a picnic or do you want to um, come over and play games? And so the types of things that we're doing with friends are just, you know, free most of the time. And that has all helped us save money. And then some other little stuff, like we cut the cord. Um, so we only have um, internet in the house um, instead of cable and little optimizations that we've kind of made along the way. But I still wouldn't describe us as extremely frugal. It's been more just kind of a gradual set of trimming here and there. So it never felt like a huge lifestyle shift and nothing we've done has ever felt like a big sacrifice. Like we'll still splurge on things once in a while. Uh, we have a big international trip coming up. I know that's not going to be cheap. Um, and we're okay with that. That stuff is still worth it to us. Um, but it's it's been, I, I definitely recommend for those who are used to spending a lot and used to living a certain lifestyle, like trim those things little by little. Don't try to um, cut it all at once or you're just going to feel really miserable. Yeah, that's great advice. Definitely don't want to get into the deprivation zone and um, trimming little by little is makes it a lot easier. And yeah, it, it was the same for us. We found we didn't miss anything. We weren't huge spenders to begin with, but uh, mm -hmm. The stuff that we did cut out, cut out, we actually are happier now that we don't have that stuff in our lives because a lot of that stuff yeah. just adds stress and complexity. So um, that's good. Totally. Um, so what was it that uh, put you on the path to financial independence then? So you just, you know, you're saving your year end bonuses and you're cutting back in some ways, but then uh, it sounds like you really ramped up at some point. Yeah. Um, you know, after we saved for our first place, uh, which we bought in the city, um, we realized that even though our expenses went up a little bit at that point, because we had been living in a super cheap rent controlled apartment, which let us save aggressively at that point. Um, but after we kind of adjusted to the new mortgage payment, we realized that we could still save. And so we kept saving. Um, and this is maybe more history than you want. But then we decided to buy our house in the mountains while we still lived in the city. And we kept that place. We actually had a couple of years when we owned two places, which, um, I feel slightly embarrassed admitting as a, an FI person, <laughs> but, um, but, you know, given everything, it, it actually worked out because then the market picked up in those years. And when we sold, we were able to do okay um, with that. But, um, and, and then we were able to actually put that money into the rental property that we own now. So it, it all worked out. Um, but, even we sort of realized even with the two places, we had gotten sufficient raises that we could still be saving. And so we just made a decision not to inflate our incomes and kind of that realization. I think that we could still save even with that. And then after we sold the place in the city, we realized we could bank all of that. Um, it was sort of that combined with, I think, reading an article somewhere about Mr. Money Mustache. And um, we we read a great book um, by Robert Charlton and Robin Charlton um, called How to Retire Early uh, that's on um, Amazon. It's uh, it, it really laid out the math and we, we kind of applied our numbers to it and realized just we can actually do this quickly. And I think that was the thing because we after we moved to the mountains, there's so much here that we want to do. And we felt like it's great that we live here, but we aren't really getting to enjoy it the way we'd like to. You know, we're still standing in the long ski lift lines on the weekends with all the crowds. Uh, we're going out on the trails on the weekends when it's packed. Uh, we want to be able to do the midweek stuff and we want to be able to do all these outdoor aspirations that we have while we're still young and able-bodied enough um, to do them. Um, and I will also say there's there's an added factor for me, which is um, my dad has a, um, a significant disability, which limits his ability to do the kind of stuff that we love to do outdoors. And 
we've never known um, if I'm going to get that. It has a genetic um, aspect to it. Some people have a non-genetic form. Uh, unfortunately, it's not well studied, and so they don't actually have a test for it. Um, and so I don't know if I have the gene to get what he has. Um, as every year passes, the chances that I'm going to get it get lower and lower. So I think now at age 37, there's a pretty good chance that I'm in the clear. Um, but when we started on all of this, we, we didn't know that. And so it was really important to me to first move to the mountains and then to pursue FI as fast as we could um, so that I can still make sure that I have some good years, even if this happens. Um, and that's that's just always been a big thing on my mind because that my dad came down with that when I was um, late in elementary school. So it's something that I grew up around. It I think was a big part of my thinking and deciding that I didn't want to have kids because I don't want to risk passing that on. Um, so it's that has always been a big factor. Um, and I think connecting the dots between that and FI was really such a gift and something that really helped motivate us. Wow. Yeah, that, that does sound like that would be very motivating. What year did your father come down with that? How old was he at the time? Um, you know, I think that it snuck up for a few years before I was really aware of it. Um, and, and, you know, he's, he's like a stoic guy of the baby boomer generation. So he, I wasn't kept up to date as a kid on all the ins and outs of it, but he, um, had to stop working because of it when I was in seventh grade and he, I think it, it was outwardly visible from maybe about fifth grade right. for me. Um, so he was, I think 40 when it started to be be visible and 42 when he stopped working, um, which is a whole other funny thing because it means that I grew up with an early retiree. Um, so I had that as a role model, which is funny because Mr. ONL also had an early retiring dad. He retired in his early 50s um, from a, a military career. Oh, wow. So, um, yeah, in a, in a weird way, we're both just kind of living our family destiny. Um, but but yeah, so I think from middle school on was really when I when I saw that and then um, saw it progress to some extent, um, which he's still healthy. It's not something that's ever going to shorten his life. It just really limits his mobility. Sure. So you moved to the mountains and uh, that must have been a big change from, you know, East Coast big city living to West Coast mountain town living. How has that transition been? Because it's something that I'm really interested in potentially doing at some point. I think living on a living close drive to ski destinations, I think, is is probably the early retiree life that would make us happiest anyway, just being outside a lot and always having some activities to do uh, that are fun. So what was that transition like? Yeah. Um, you know, the transition wasn't as uh, jarring or dramatic as you might expect. I think the the thing that people maybe don't understand or appreciate about ski towns is that they are full of people from the cities because people are traveling here. Um, most of them, you know, there are a few sleepy ski towns still, but but for the most part, we all get kind of the deluge of weekend folks, or we get lots of people like us who moved from the big city to be here. So I think unlike a small town that's that's not a ski town, uh, we still mostly are populated by people who have have lived in the city at some point, you know, people who are educated, who are interested in the world. Um, so in terms of the people we've met here, I think we feel like they're mostly pretty similar to folks we knew in East Coast cities. And then when we were in the West in a big city, um, I will say the things that I love the most are the lack of traffic, except maybe on powder days to the resorts, um, because that that's obviously a huge factor in most big cities. Um, 
And then little things like at first when we first moved in and when we didn't have our kitchen boxes unpacked, we were trying to get food delivered at nine at night and realized that no one would bring us food. <laughs> um, and that was a, a funny moment of, of realizing that. But after you kind of accept that stuff, it's actually, um, you know, at least in our town, not that different. We have a big grocery store. We have all the services you want. Plus, you know, you can order things online now. So if you need something and you can't get it in town, it's still easy to get it. Um, and we don't live, you know, just if anyone has this image of us living up on a mountainside all by ourselves, that is definitely not our situation. We live in a normal subdivision, which looks like probably a suburb anywhere, except that we have bigger trees and the houses mostly have wood siding instead of being <laughs> painted or something. Like they look like mountain houses, but it's just a, a normal neighborhood. So I think like interacting with neighbors, um, that's actually really nice because, you know, in the city, people don't often have that same kind of connection. Um, but but I think the adjustment overall is was not really that big a deal other than just kind of recognizing that um, we're going to probably want to travel to the city more. Like when we lived in the city, we would spend all our vacation time going to mountains or going to wilderness areas. And now living in the mountains, we spend our vacation time mostly going to cities. So it, that's been the big flip. Nice. Yeah. Always what we don't have. It's uh, always the case, no matter how much you, you try to stop that from happening. You're like, oh man, I got to get back into the city again. Yeah. Um, so how easy is it to build community in a place like a, like a ski town? Cause like you said, there's a lot of people just coming in for the weekends. Um, I mm -hmm. guess there are quite a lot of people that do live there, but, um, when I was in Ecuador, I was listening to Mr. Money Mustache's, uh, talk down there and he was talking about happiness and all these things. And he was talking about how like community plays a huge part in happiness. And I realized that's something that Joe and I don't really have because we, we travel so much and we want to see so many different places and we are always flip-flopping back from Scotland to America and vice versa. And we're never really settled in a place for more than two to four years. You know, it's hard to build that community around you in that short of a time. So part of the, the, the big questioning on these, on these ski town questions is, you know, we're thinking about maybe our next big move being a more permanent one in somewhere like a ski town or somewhere obviously with mountains around it that we could get to easily at least. Um, so is it easy to build community in a place like that? Um, yeah, I actually think it has been super easy. Um, certainly much easier to build community here than it was in the city. Um, in the city, it took us several years to feel like we had a good group of friends. Um, especially after, um, we were both working remotely and didn't have kind of that built-in social structure at work. Um, but the the biggest thing is everybody who moves here has has a set of common interests. No one would move up here and deal with all the winter snow and all the tourists um, on the weekends if they didn't love all of the things that the mountains have to offer. So it really makes it easy to just strike up a conversation with someone and have a common understanding, you know, where like the biggest differences are, do you ski or do you snowboard? Do you ride full suspension or hardtail? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, like, mm -hmm. Those are the only differences, but otherwise everyone's into all the same stuff. Um, and so that for sure makes it easy where you may not have necessarily like the greatest intellectual connection with someone, but you can at least find people to go on a hike together or to go out paddling with you or do whatever you're into. Um, and so that has made it easy. And the other thing is, I don't know if you found this um, when you've lived in the city in the past, but like traffic is such a factor in so many places that people won't get together um, during the week or people are busy and you have to schedule things a month out. Um, we felt like we were doing really well in the city if we saw our good friends like once every other month. Um, that 
that felt good, you know, but here we're more likely to see people um, almost every week because especially with a very small town center, if you just go downtown, you bump into people and you say, hey, you want to grab dinner and you can actually make spontaneous plans, (laughs) (laughs) which which we never did in the city. And so um, that is definitely something I love. I mean, I can't speak to every ski town, um, and I think that they all have a little bit different vibe, and some tend to be a little bit more resistant to outsiders moving in, and they have a much more pro-local kind of vibe. Um, that's something we definitely discovered when we used to travel a lot more for skiing and went all over. Um, but there are definitely plenty of good ones that have a really good inclusive vibe and are are thrilled when cool people move to town. Um, so I would say for folks considering it, I think that Go go check out the place you're considering moving. Don't just blindly move there um, and make sure that people feel warm and open to you. Um, but if you find that, I, I think it's definitely easier here to form a, a social circle. That's really cool. That's great to hear. Um, yeah. I'm... So I, I think you should do it. You guys should definitely maybe move here. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah, it sounds great. Um, I don't I'm, I've been talking to Carl, Mr. 1500 from 1500 Days uh, for the past couple of weeks and we we realize that we both have the exact same dreams of building uh, a ski lodge. Um, no, you know, not a lodge. That's probably makes it sound a lot bigger than we're we're thinking. But yeah, like a little ski efficient, energy efficient ski house somewhere on a mountain. Um, so I've got him uh, scoping out Colorado for me. So I'll, I'll have you scope out west as well. So yeah, no, talk to me about that. We could we could get in on that with you guys. That would be awesome. <laughs> One last question for it before we move on, though, is real estate prices uh, a lot more? Uh, obviously, you went from a big East Coast city, so you're probably used to high prices. But were you surprised at how reasonable a ski or a house in the mountains is? Or were you, you know, was it no. really what you expected? No, it, it's expensive here. Um, and I think that that's true of virtually every ski destination, uh, at least in the U.S., um, you know, there are probably still a few hidden gems on little itty bitty mountains, but for all of the um, ski resorts that have real services, you're going to pay a premium to live nearby. Um, and so we knew that. And that's that's actually been a, a central part of our FI plan is acknowledging that we, we want to live in a high cost of living place. Um, and there are so many different things too, beyond just housing prices where we we call it the mountain tax of what we pay at the grocery store or we pay for gas or we pay for utilities. I mean, that is definitely something to take into consideration because it was a rude awakening for us when we got our first uh, natural gas bill and it was $400 uh, to heat our house to 62 degrees, which do you, do you know offhand what that is in centigrade for our... Oh, <laughs> not um, American bits. Yeah, probably it's high cold. teens. Yeah, and um, and so we started. That's actually the area where we are most um, weirdly frugal. Is now we keep our house at fifty five wow, um, because nice. well done. Yeah, no, I, we. I'm. I. You can't see me now, but I am super bundled up, and uh, that is just how we do that because utilities are a fortune in rural areas. Um, but I do think like that was to us such a huge part of being lucky and buying in 2011 when housing prices were way down. So what I can equate it to is the home prices here were roughly similar to what we were looking at in the big city, uh, but you got a bit more space. So like what we would have paid for a condo in the city, we could get a medium-sized house here. Um, and so we, we didn't get, we didn't save money, but we got more space. We aren't sharing walls with neighbors anymore. We don't have like the condo board president coming in and being nosy in our business. So it's definitely been a good trade up for us. But then now housing prices are back up into kind of crazy levels here. So it's, I do think 
timing is is hugely important as well. Sure, no, definitely. Um, cool. So you you've paid off your mortgage, so you own your own your own house. You have a rental property. Um, what other sort of investment strategies have you used over the years to to get to you know within a few months of FI? Yeah, we um, and actually we we are technically um, FI. We we know that at this point we could um, live off the investments at a at a low level. I mean, above like an early retirement extreme level, but not quite where we want to be. So we're working this last year uh, to get to where we can be pretty comfortable. Um, but but overall, all our investment strategy is super boring. We completely do the low cost index funds. Uh, we're all about Vanguard. We have mix roughly 70, 30 of stock funds to bond funds, although we've been reducing our bond funds um, lately because we have a personal loan out uh, that we're using in, instead. And then as those payments come in, then we're buying bonds with them to keep that mix. Um, but, you know, we like the S&P fund. We like the total market fund. We have been putting a little more on the international side lately, just given, you know, all of it. Um, but, but we try really hard not to time the market. So we, we put money in twice a month, no matter what. And I think the thing that's been the best for us is that, um, Mr. ONL especially got a really early start on his 401k. So he started maxing in his early twenties. Um, and, definitely way ahead of me. So our 401ks have actually been at a point uh, for, I think, well over a year now where we could stop. And then by the time we hit 60, they would support us. We're still maxing because we can. um, And because why not? We'd rather have a big chunk of money sitting there for us later. But I think the, the big difference in our strategy is we're thinking of our retirement in two phases. So in the first phase, we're really just going to live off of taxable. We're hoping not to need to do any of the backdoor Roth stuff and bring any of that 401k money over. Um, So we call it kind of our dirtbag years. So between about age 40 uh, and age 60, we can live a little cheaper. We can travel the less fancy way. If we need to stay in hostels and pensions, we will. Um, We, you know, we have a ton of airline miles, which is great. So we'll hopefully be able to travel um, on planes for quite a few years on those. Um, but so we can live pretty cheap until we hit 60. And then once we can get to the 401k, uh, then we can, we, based on our current projections at even pretty low, um, low returns in the markets, we should be able to double or possibly triple our annual spend by the time we hit 60. Um, and I would say that's not even living super meager 40 to 60. It's just, you know, a more scaled back kind of thing. So for us, that's comfortable. We'd rather know that that money is sitting out there because who knows what's going to happen with healthcare? Who knows if we'll have high healthcare expenses? There are so many variables out there in the world. Um, we could have to take care of family members. Like we just don't know. So having that, we call it the big nest egg for later, but, but having that there is something that's really comforting. That's cool. And in your rental property experience, uh, how's that been? So we we probably broke all the rules. Like I I I think most people who are professional landlords would would not love how we went about it. But we specifically bought our rental property to rent to a relative, um, and so we were a little picky about the property and made sure it covered all the needs, um, checked all the boxes, and it's it's still a good cap rate, um, you know, the ratio of rent to purchase price that, that people look at, but it's, it's not awesome. I think we would have looked for a cheaper place, um, if we were just doing it strictly for the money, but, but to us, we sort of feel like why save all this money if we can't help people we love and if we can't do some good in the world. Um, so that was a priority we, we placed. So right now the rental is, is cash flow neutral or actually a little bit cash flow negative. If you look at the income tax on it, because we're in a pretty high bracket right now. Um, but once we retire, then it will definitely 
definitely shift into a tiny bit positive. And then when we pay off that mortgage in 12 years, we're not um, speeding up the payments on that one. We we wanted to pay off our house fast, but we're going to just let the rental mortgage go on schedule. Um, but once we pay that off, then that'll be really good cash flow. And that's definitely factored into our planning. That's cool. It, is, is your relative still renting it? Yep. And um, we feel super happy. That relative has a really solid stream of income. Um, so it that feels really rock solid. We feel like we have the world's best tenant and we feel super lucky about that. We know that it's going to be a long-term gig. I think if we were thinking about tenant turnover and having to find good tenants, I don't even know that I would want to do that. Right. Um, that That's not something that interests me particularly. That's cool. So no more, no more real estate for you then? You're just sticking with the one then? Maybe, you know, like people like you talked to Chad Carson uh, recently and, and he is so knowledgeable about this stuff and has helped us see some of the possibilities. So if the market's if the at least the real estate markets go significantly down again, I, I I wouldn't say never on that, but it's not top of our list. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think I'm in the same boat. Um, so you obviously live in the mountains, but you are a consultant, so that's a lot of telecommuting mm-hmm. and a lot of travel as well. Um, how long have you been telecommuting for? Um, six years for me, and a bit longer, I think. Um, actually possibly 11 years for Mr. ONL. Um, so we've, we've been at this a while. Um, and people are always asking how we got this gig. And it's, I, I can't actually give any useful advice there because it was just completely circumstantial with our companies. Uh, we didn't apply for telecommuting jobs. We both had proper bricks and mortar offices. Um, and then for a couple different reasons that, that we'll share once we unveil ourselves, um, we, we were just able to start telecommuting. So, it's it's definitely different, but we feel super lucky to have been able to luck into this and live in the mountains and still do these jobs that pay us enough to save rapidly for FI. You've been with your current companies for quite a while, um, most of your career, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah. are you at all concerned about maybe like having a loss of identity when you lose, when you finally walk away from your jobs? Because it seems like, you know, you've, you're quite tied to the company and, and the job itself. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. And I think that that's something that people really should think through and think about, you know, what is it that defines you? What is it that you want to define you in the future? This is something we think and write about a lot on on the blog. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, we we have the types of careers that are really defining. But yeah, I think especially just feeling relevant in the world is something that I, I wonder about. But But we've thought about that and thought about ways that we can replace a little bit of that through some of our volunteer work. In the future, um, also, you know, we don't see early retirement as not working. It's just going to be working on projects that we want to do and that we care about. So I think that for me, it's really important to have creative outlets. And I think the blog will do some of that. There are some other things we're going to do um, to try to just create a new identity. Um, because I agree with you. I think like having all this disappear overnight could be really tough. And if you look at the research, I know early retirees don't often want to compare ourselves to traditional retirees, but there are actually pretty high rates of depression that set in right after people retire. And I think early retirees have this incredible luxury of retiring on our own terms, which isn't true for most people. You know, most people envision that they're going to work till 65 or later, but in reality, something happens and they get forced to to retire more like at age 62 or earlier. Um, And so just being able to retire on our own terms, to do some of this thinking ahead of time of what are we going to do? What's important to us? What are our goals? I think all of that is super helpful to kind of ease that transition. Um, 
Although all of that said, I haven't actually retired yet. So this could all just be <laughs> an academic exercise. But um, I'm curious, like, what what have you found? Have you found that that was tough? Or oh, yeah. Had, had you? Yeah. I Well, I was so thankful to have a few projects that I had already started before. Um, mm -hmm. Because I think that first Monday, I freaked out a little bit even with having all this stuff. And even though I was telecommuting and like really from an outsider's point of view, that Monday looked pretty much identical to the Monday before it when I was working. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, had I not had like the mad scientist stuff to work on and a few other like software projects I was working on and then uh, some of my like hobby based projects that I was working on, I think I would have really freaked out. Um, and yeah, I think depression would have been a possibility had I not found something quickly to to fill the void, even though, you know, my work void was probably a lot smaller than your work void sounds like it could be. So yeah, I think that's, I think that's a huge thing. And that's definitely something I'm going to focus more on in the writing uh, this year is sort of trying to figure out how best people can find these other things to, to find meaning in and things. So I love that you're doing that. That's, it's so important. And I think it's so easy with, especially FI bloggers to just talk about the money. Um, but the money is like a tiny piece of it. And of course, saving is, is important, but really once you automate this stuff, mostly saving for retirement is just waiting. It's right. just waiting for, for the money to pile up. And so while you're waiting, you might as well do some of that work to think about what do I want to do next? What can, what wheels can I put in motion now to give me something that's fulfilling later? Um, and maybe it's different for some folks who don't love their jobs or don't feel defined by them. But I still think that there's value in, in thinking that stuff through. And I'm so thankful to have, have the blog now. Um, and that's, pretty time consuming. So I, th I think I'm still going to have something that feels a little bit like a job. Um, but I at least I'm so excited. And, and I don't know if you felt this way. I, at FinCon when, when we hung out, I didn't notice you reaching for your phone compulsively every five seconds, like <laughs> I do. Um, but I cannot wait to try to break that twitch, <laughs> to, yeah. like wake up in the morning and not as soon as my eyes pop open, like reach over for my phone and, and get into that world right away or not to get out of bed and come right to my desk. Um, that's the stuff that I hope will change where even if we're doing cool work and feel perfectly well, um, defined by it, that it's, it's not so dominating that we can still be humans and not humans with this robot appendage. Yeah, no, you'll, you're going to love that. It's uh, it'll probably take you a while to, to detox from it and come down from the, the habit, but yeah, you're going to love it. Um, so your blog's called our next life. So, uh, you've already given us a glimpse of what your next life could potentially look like, but, uh, is there anything that you didn't share that you're, you know, looking forward to doing once you finally are free? Um, oh my gosh. Yes. I, I think the reality is that even when we don't have these super time consuming jobs anymore, we're still not going to have enough time to do everything we want. Um, we love to travel. There are so many places in the world where we want to travel and we want to go slowly. Um, you know, I, I recently crossed over to a million miles in my United account. So I'm, I'm plotting every day how to use them. Um, and I think we're, we're trying to prioritize that in terms of places that are changing most rapidly. So we have Iceland at the top of the list to make sure that we go see the glaciers there before global warming takes them away. Um, I think some of the islands in the South Pacific, we want to hit up on the earlier side since they will be underwater soon. Um, 
things like that are, are definitely how we're structuring our travel dreams. Uh, we also want to buy a small RV um, and be able to travel around. Uh, we have this uh, concept, which we did not name. This is a well-known name with skiers, but we want to do the endless winter where we take our little tiny RV um, and just follow the snow for a whole season. And, and ideally, we'd love to follow it down to South America and ski there through the summer um, and and do that for a whole year, um, which I don't know if we'll pull that off, but that's definitely something that that we're dreaming about. Um, Mr. ONL, I think, is especially stoked about a lot of the outdoor stuff here and kind of in our, our larger region. You know, we love all of it. We love skiing probably the most. And then in the summer, we like to backpack and do some mountaineering, which which really is just hiking, but with some ice tools up glaciers and things. Um, I think mountaineering sounds very mysterious to people who've never done it, but it's, it's really just walking with spikes on your feet. Cool. Um, <laughs> and then he... I, I rock climb a little bit, but I think he's much more into it. Um, you know, who knows? We might get more into climbing and want to go climb a big wall like some of the ones in Yosemite. Um, but that's all stuff that we'd love to figure out. And then I think I'm more on the side of wanting to do some creative stuff. So I, I would really love to start writing books, um, have some ideas there. And then we're looking at some different ways of doing some multimedia storytelling that will probably um, tie into the blog and a couple other things. So I think we'll be plenty busy. And I didn't even talk about the volunteering, which is um, we really want to help the nonprofits in our area be as effective as possible. And so we're we're hoping to do some nonprofit coaching for free um, or, or maybe just a tiny, tiny little um, fee if, if it makes sense at that time. But um, that's something where we want to still have that really good purpose and do good work and have a local impact, um, which we can't do right now. We can't devote that kind of time, but we'll feel really lucky to be able to do that once we have more time. That's great. Um, well, if you need house sitters when you're off and traveling the world, uh, just let us know. We'll we'll come and watch after everything for you. No problem. We'll talk. <laughs> <laughs> I usually end all my interviews with just asking for like one piece of advice you'd give to somebody on the path to financial independence. So what would that be? Um, the one that I've been saying the most often recently is is for folks who feel like I'm getting too late a start. Um, you know, it's easy to look at folks who, um, like I think about the Frugal Woods, who were able to pull off their big move um, to Vermont in in their early 30s, or um, like Steve at Think Save Retire, who retired at 35 recently, or um, Matt and Daniel at The Resume Gap, which is one of my favorite blogs, they were able to pull it off in their 20s. Uh, you know, there are people who are doing this so early that I think it's easy to feel like, oh, well, I'm 35 and just starting. So haven't I missed the boat or isn't this too late? Um, but but I think if you just compare yourself to this tiny freakish fraction of people on the internet who have blogs, um, that you're bound to feel dissatisfied. And I remember we even wrote a post about this about a year and a half ago on feeling like we were late to the game and we're going to be retiring at 38 and 41. So not late at all. <laughs> um, but, but my advice is, you know, every day of freedom that you can steal back from 65 is a win. And so even if you are retiring at 64 and a half or 62, that's still huge. And that's still a lot more life that you get to live on your own terms than most people will ever get to say. Um, or even just being able to retire on your own terms is huge. So don't be discouraged by how old you are now or where you're starting. Um, this stuff tends to accelerate and pick up the pace. And I don't know of anyone who didn't ultimately end up getting there faster than they thought they would. Um, because as you get into it, it, you start optimizing things, you start finding other ways to cut expenses and save more or to side hustle and get more um, income that you can save. But 
you still have a lot of capacity no matter when you're starting to make this happen for yourself. Um, so there's really no downside. And even if early retirement is on, isn't on the table, if you're 60 and you're you're thinking about this, there is still huge value in becoming financially independent and knowing that you can support yourself no matter what happens, especially I think right now with so much uncertainty in the world, there has never been a better time to um, pursue FI. So it's always worth it no matter where you are in life or in your journey. Um, go for it. Fantastic advice. Um, how can people get in touch with you? They can go to our blog, which is ournextlife.com. Um, and we have on the about page all the ways you can contact with, uh, you can contact us. We have our email address there. Uh, we're also super active on social. So Twitter is where I do the most. And um, unfortunately, someone else got the at our next life handle uh, to do like a, a sad, unrequited love Twitter that they haven't used for five years. Oh, no. <laughs> but you could, you can find us there at at our underscore next life, uh, which is also our handle on Instagram, where I post a lot of photography from our different mountain adventures and travel. Um, so that one's not going to be any financial wisdom. That's just going to be pretty travel and outdoor pics. Um, and then we do Facebook too, but really Twitter and Instagram are where we focus. Cool. I'll link to all those. And I definitely have to give you all the listeners out there a warning. Do not look at the Instagram if you are a, a fan of snow and skiing because it'll just make you so sick with jealousy. Um, I can't. <laughs> I look at it constantly and then I have then I just feel terrible. So um, it's great, though. I, uh, it's making me uh, more enthusiastic about our potential mountain move. And it's it's actually the reason I started looking into it in the first place. I saw your Instagram and I was like, oh, my God, I need that in my life. Um, and then I started looking into it and then started talking to Carl. And now who knows what's going to happen from all of that. So um, I blame your Instagram. But, yeah, I'll link to all that good stuff in the show notes. But, yeah, no, this has been great. So thank you so much. And, uh, yeah, hopefully I'll get out there soon to to see how good the skiing actually is. Yeah, please do visit anytime you guys are always invited. And it's been a total pleasure to talk with you. And thanks so much for having me. Yeah, no, it's been great. Thanks. Talk to you soon. Okay, bye. bye. Finance.